and welcome to Season 2 of Power Talk. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power the Fight does and to find out how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit www.powerthefight.org.uk. On today's episode, we have a Youth Offending Service Operations Manager, Lawrence Russell, and we'll be discussing the Youth Offending Service perspective on youth violence. Lawrence, welcome to Power Talk. It's good to see you. Thank you for inviting me. No, no problem, no problem. Can you just tell us uh, who you are and what you do? It'd be great. Okay, well, who I am is um, Lawrence Russell, husband, father of two. What I do, I work with um, young people who have offended. So I'm an operational manager for Lewisham Youth Offending Service. I've been in the Youth Offending Service for 11 years. It was actually you that introduced me to the Youth Offending Service. You remember, yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I asked you about opportunities and I started as a volunteer. Okay. I don't know if you remember you've done that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been that for 11 years, started as a volunteer, moved up to a case manager, became a senior practitioner, now operational manager for the last two years I've been doing that. So, yeah, I, I do remember kind of helping you kind of get into the mix and we were running like a volunteer programme when I used to work for the Youth Offending Service in Lewisham. Um, what was your desire? Why did you feel that was something you wanted to get into? What was the kind of... Um, prior to being in the Youth Offending Service, I used to run a record shop in Lewisham, ran that for a number of years. Um, young people just used to come in there all the time um, during periods where they're supposed to be in school. So I just used to just talk to them saying what's going on there. I just wanted to have a bit, of, a bit of a better understanding of what was going on. So I started doing a bit of youth work. At the same time, I was doing youth offending work. I kind of like geared myself to youth offending work. I felt, I felt a bit more, um, felt more challenging. Yeah. I, wanted, I wanted the challenge. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And just break down, because obviously uh, youth offending service is something which we hear a lot uh, in the press. What do you do? What is the difference between the youth offending service and let's say the youth service or probation? Because when you talk to young people, yeah, they always talk about probation, yeah, but yeah. there is a difference. So what, what is the youth offending service? There's a huge difference between youth offending, youth offending service, youth service and probation. Now what people need to remember is that youth offending service is quite in its infancy still, 1998 this came out. So we're talking 21 years since youth offending service has been in place. Um, we, with Youth Offending Service, we only work with young people who have committed an offence, being charged, um, and there's three strands. So you've got out-of-court disposals, which if a young person has been arrested, admitted the offence, um, offence has to be quite a minor offence. They can go through what is called um, out-of-court disposals, which are youth cautions. Police basically tell them off, don't do it again. You've got triage, which is, they get a short, small intervention and then they're signposts to other services, and you get um, youth conditional cautions, which last for three months, lots of interventions, the signposts at the end of that. Then you've got the next strand, which is young people who have actually gone to court and got a conviction now. There's a number of um, orders that they can get. Orders can range from three months, three months community orders to three years. We don't usually do three-year ones. Maximum we may go up to is two years. Then you've got the custodial sentences, which year up to life young people can get. Um, with the community orders, lots of work has gone into there. Um, we look at interventions, reparations, uh, victim awareness work, 
we do in Lewisham anyway. We've, we've changed our model slightly. Over the last two years, we've changed our model to become a trauma-informed service. What does that mean? It's a buzzword now. Well, it's a buzzword, and we hear a lot of jargon. Trauma-informed service, public health model. So to say that like Lewisham has particularly become trauma-informed in comparison to other youth offending services in, in London or across the UK, what does that really mean? How does that impact your practice? It impacts the practice a lot. So it's of the understanding that most young people that we work with in the youth offending service, particularly those that re-offend one, two, three, four, five times, they have gone through a series of traumatic events in their childhood. So adverse childhood experiences, what other people call, call these. Um, when young people have gone through these traumatic experiences, they don't go through a period of recovery. And there may be other traumatic experiences that have gone on top of it. So for example, young person who has witness domestic violence between their mum and dad in the household. It could be one incident, but they haven't recovered from it. It was so traumatic for them that it's actually um, affected their brain development. So that can impact speech and language, how they process information. It can impact, gonna get a bit technical now. Um, in the brain, we've got a part called the limbic system, which is like the emotional part of the brain. All of us kind of operate from that limbic system first. As an adult, you understand a bit more logical, so you can kind of counteract those thoughts with logic. With a young person, particularly a young person who has been through a traumatic experience and hasn't recovered from it, they are really operating in that emotional zone all the time, which can create hypervigilance, hypermasculinity in the men, lots of anger, lots of stress, lots of anxiety. So that type of young person growing up, trying to navigate through their community, getting excluded from school, being fearful because they think every young person's got a knife. If you add in substance misuse into that, what that brain of that young person is not going to operate what a young person in Richmond who hasn't gone through none of that sure. has gone through. So as a youth offending server, we, we've had to kind of think about what is, that, what is it that we're doing? I know when I first started youth offending service, it was all about worksheets, yeah, because when I, I mean, I was there in 2006, we weren't talking trauma-informed care or public no. health or anything like that. So it feels like this, this has been a, a massive shift in people's practice. And... Is it, uh, for me, it's a, it's a needed shift. It's, it's understanding that young p- people, they have attachments. They haven't been nurtured. Well, not young people. All young people that we work with in youth offending service. Um, attachment issues distrusting of adults because they've been let down by school, social services, if social services have been involved, uh, youth services. We have to come in and try and build these relationships up with them before we can do any intervention work. Sure. Any offending work is not going to work with a young person who one, doesn't respect you, and one just doesn't even, doesn't even doesn't like you. It's just not gonna work. They're gonna, they're gonna come in to sessions, maybe not engage, not talk, not even listen. Yeah. But we've also got to understand that I think it's about 80% of young people that we work with have a speech and language um, need. Some are very severe, some are minor. So we need to understand that putting a piece of paper in front of them, asking them to read that and doing shit with them, it's, it's not processing in their brain. So we have, we've had to work in very different ways, um, thinking, thinking really creatively about our interventions as well, particularly that we don't have the resources now, the money, to build, bring in specialists. So we've had to train up our own staff around um, restorative approaches, trauma-informed, so understanding how the brain works, contextual safeguarding, unconscious bias, 
various other things we've had to do. And it's all been within the last two years in our service. I mean, that's fascinating that you've used some of those terms of conscious bias, contextual safeguarding, because like, that's pretty much the philosophy of Power of Fight, where we're talking, that when you're, we're, we're engaging with young people and families, there are uh, bigger issues that we do not normally associate with engagement with young people. And like things like contextual safeguarding is such a massive uh, way that we can engage with young people. And, and, and it's, it does feel new, but ultimately this is something which I've seen in people's practice where it's, it's improved their practice and stuff like that. Um, the type of, so you're responsible for courts? Or? No, no, I was responsible for courts. I'm now responsible for um, interventions and group work. Okay, so what does that mean? And, and to try and break down how many workers you've got, and also how many young people do you kind of see coming in in a year? At the moment in Lewisham, we've had a massive reduction. So I think at the moment we've got around 200 young people coming in. That's less than 1% of the population of Lewisham. And that's important to say that, because sometimes when we talk about youth violence, we get this sort of like, uh, this epidemic. Every young person's engaging in a way which is negative. Well, what you've just said there... It's less, less than 1%. Okay. Yeah, so I can't remember the numbers of young people in Lewisham, but yeah, it's definitely left less than 1%, yeah. which is, yeah, we don't even touch the surface of the amount of young people that come through. Reality is most young people go through life and don't cause any problems for anybody. But we have that less than 1% of young people who do, who we try to um, work around. So in reference to your question, I create... Because we're a trauma-informed service, so I've had to recreate a lot of our previous um, groups that we used to do. So the group that you made, Double Edge, the Knife, Knife Crime Awareness Programme, we've had to scrap that. Yeah. Because it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, um, it wasn't trauma-informed. Yeah. So we've created a new weapons awareness programme, which is not going to go into too much detail because it's being evaluated at the moment, right. but I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, it is a 12-week programme. It has a four-week engagement phase. So before we do any group work around knife awareness or anything like that, we work with the young people on a one-to-one basis over a four-week period to build up relationships with them for the facilitators. Because in the past, when you run a group, young people are just thrown onto a group, not really explained what the group is about. They don't know the facilitators, and it just crumbles after a few weeks. Once we build that relationship up with them over a four-week period, they're brought into the group and it runs pretty smoothly. They understand exactly what the group's about, hardly any questions and know what they're going to be taught over the 12 um, sessions. We've brought in some, <laughs> some, some techniques that um, were frowned upon initially. So we do breathing techniques with the young people in the groups. Okay. So we start, as soon as the session starts, they do breathing technique. When the session ends, they do a breathing technique. And it's a particular certain type of breathing technique. Um, we do mindfulness with the young people in the sessions, and we do positive, positive affirmations. They all get a plant, and they all do positive affirmations towards the plant. Wow. Some of the things I was, I was a bit skeptical that the young people would take up, but they love it. They love the breathing techniques, yeah. and particularly the affirmations to the plants. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned Double Edge, and that is something when I was working at the Youth Offending Service, I developed with another colleague, um, and that was, so with, that was, 2009-2010. So in the space of almost 10 years, you want, you would expect that there has to be movement mm-hmm. and advancement in the techniques that we're doing. So from my perspective, it, it just, that's great that it's moving that way. One thing I want to pick up on though is, 
obviously there's two, you just said there's maybe 200 kids that you're kind of working with at the moment. You spoke about adverse childhood experiences and we know that in, within those uh, parental abandonment um, is one thing. Substance misuse, if, if a parent um, has been in prison, all these things suggest that that child could end up in criminality. And, you know, I totally get that. What I'm seeing and what I'm picking up is also what I'm calling dominant youth culture now. So some young people do not have any obvious ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, yet, but yet are getting caught up in this stuff. Um, you know, recently I had, I had a phone call from a parent whose uh, son who has no kind of... Well, let's just put it this way. There's, there's no want or need in his household. Mm. And yet picked up for carrying a knife, being excluded from school. So the question is, are you seeing that? Are you seeing kids coming in as well? Um, what are the type of trends you're seeing? Do you agree that actually there is a dominant youth culture or, or, or is it that actually, no, it's still kind of impacting a particular type of young person? There's definitely a dominant youth culture now. Any child, no matter where they're from, can be the victim of child criminal exploitation. Doesn't matter who they are, what background they are. The people that are exploiting the children, they're very skilled at identifying what a young person may want or need and picking on those desires and over time, gradually grooming them to do something that they don't particularly want to do. Also with the knife possession, carrying knives, and the most, most young people are carrying it out of fear. It's constantly blasted over the news. Every day you're hearing that someone's being stabbed. It's gone from talking about young person being stabbed and murdered to just stabbing now, which wouldn't normally hit the news. So a knife injury now is now hitting the news. So they're hearing that every day. Imagine as an adult, you're hearing that pastors are being stabbed every day. You would probably want to go and protect yourself somehow. You know, as an adult, you probably have a bit more skills. We're talking about children here who don't necessarily have the skill to navigate the risk in their community. So the only way they know how to do it what they think they know how to do is by carrying a knife and protecting themselves. So that, that's part of a youth culture that's, that's beginning to come up. You could talk about the music as well. Is it the music? Is it true? No, it's not the music. For me, it's not the music. The music can only have an effect on, on young people who are vulnerable, you know, who don't have an adult ear in, the, in their mind, breaking down the lyrics to them. Don't just let your child sit in front of YouTube watching music videos and you're, as an adult, understanding what the music is. Sit down and talk to them and say, what is this? What are they talking about? I understand it. You know, vulnerable children who, who are not resilient are going to be influenced by the, by the music. I love hip-hop. I love drill. I think one of my first little hip-hop from like nine years old, man, NWA and everything, that didn't influence me because my mum still values in me that I knew not to go that road, but I still enjoyed the music. And that's interesting because basically we're, we're touching on what's around the young person, what systems are around the young person to kind of help break down some of the things which are out there. And that, and that, and that's a, and that is a, a fair point. What are the trends that you are kind of seeing though? Because, you know, when I was working in youth offending service and the community safety teams, if I'm honest, there was, it did feel like there was a particular type of young person coming through, but every now and again, and you know, we won't mention the cases, but I'm, I'm sure you'd be familiar, you know, you'd get like a, a, a young girl from a well, uh, a, a really good home getting caught up, caught up in a murder. And 
you, like I said, this dominant youth culture for me is something which isn't a new thing. I think it can impact anybody. But the type of trends that you're seeing, the type of young person coming through, um, and the type of criminality as well. What, is it just, is, is knife crime the biggest thing? Is that something which you're seeing young people being picked we, up for? We pull it into categories. So the most common offence type is violence against the person, which does include carrying knives. But you have assaults, common assault. We get lots of common assaults, particularly young people in care homes. They may be assaulting their um, key workers because they're put into a, a place that's not therapeutic for their needs. So a lot of frustration is there. Um, Lots of drug offences. So we get a lot of um, possession with intent to supply, or just general possession for cannabis. It's quite an array, though. And we get a lot of um, car thefts in Lewisham. We've, there's been a reduction in burglaries. There was a huge trend in burglaries probably about two years ago, but that's, that's reduced in Lewisham. Amounts our core cohort, anyway. Um, but yeah, but yeah, assaults, common assault, assault by beating, knives, possession of knives are probably the most common and offences that we get. And these trends, so we don't just focus on Lewisham because we don't want people to think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't come to Lewisham. Uh, it's, um, it's lovely. But this would this be something which you would see across London and out, also outside of London? Is this, or are we saying that the criminality is different across the UK and across, and across London? Um, county lines, from my understanding, is affecting most London boroughs, um, also affecting um, counties outside of the UK. We can get into the county line talk. Well, I was going to say, you might just want to break down what county lines mm -hmm. is for some people. Do you yeah. hear it a lot? But... We hear it a lot. County line, young people um, under the age of 18, groomed and exploited into transporting drugs and selling drugs in Portsmouth, Hastings, Margate, towns outside of, outside of London. I particularly don't agree with the term, saying county lines, because we have drug lines within London that young people are selling on, but that's ignored. Right. At all. We're forgetting about those young people that are selling drugs in, in London, into certain clubs, <laughs> with a certain type of person that they don't really want to... Um... So I'll, I'll say, <laughs> what maybe is the elephant in the room, that it appears like when we're talking about drugs, we tend to uh, excuse or ignore um, white middle-class mm -hmm. drug use, mm -hmm. which probably makes up most of the economy. Probably. Probably. Mm -hmm. But we don't have the facts. But we don't yeah. know the facts. But, that, that's an opinion. But at least, yeah, that's an opinion, which we don't know the facts as well. I probably could get some facts and data. But there does seem to be a difference between, or at least the, what you visualise when you think drug dealing. Mm -hmm. You might think black kid in a hoodie on the street corner, not corporate, mm -hmm. snorting coke off the toilet, mm -hmm. possibly. But yeah, okay. So that's interesting. So go on, county lines, and it's something which... We, we hear a lot about modern slavery acts and all this type of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's something that is, I think we, we, just as a society or professionals working in this type of field, need to understand a lot more. Because it's, it's not even new. It's been going on for a very long time, but it's getting a lot of attention now. Unfortunately, the young people or children that are being groomed to do it are becoming younger and younger. We're getting some 10, 11 year olds that are going missing for a very, very long time, and they're in these drug houses in terrible conditions. This, this, this is what we're forgetting as well. So when people look at the drug lines, I think about the money that um, young people can potentially make. Like, some young people can make thousands in a week, but the conditions that they're working on, and they're working 24-7, no breaks. They are threatened if they are with violence, if they don't sell 
the products. They are kind of exploited into a infinity debt, what I'm going to call it actually, where the people that have actually given them the drugs rob them. They get people to rob them, so they have to work off the debt. And they kind of never, ever work off the debt right. at all. They constantly just keep having, having to work. Having so to work. Oh, let me break this down. So, you know, I give you drugs to go and sell, mm-hmm. and then I'll set you up mm-hmm. to get robbed, and then you have to come back to me and say, oh, I've been robbed, even though I'm the one who set you up. Mm-hmm. And I owe you money for the drugs, so I've got to go back out and work for free. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then the, the value of the drugs generally keeps increasing, so it might have initially been... I don't know, you lost £2,000 worth, but that will just keep changing over time. Wow. So, yeah, and they're, they're indebted for a very long time. And where does this grooming begin, then? Because, yeah. it can be, It begins, so, generally, young people that are probably kind of at the top of the table of being groomed are looked after young people who are in residential care homes. So they don't really have that attachment with their parents. They've been take, removed from their homes for whatever reason. They're already traumatised as well. The people that are grooming them, they're so, they are very, very skilled in identifying these, these young people. They will go to the PRUs, the People Referral Unit, so schools with, that have taken children that have been excluded. They work with young people that are on youth offending service, so they know that they are ready, it's some kind of scope for them to be willing to disappear from their home or their placement, go away for a couple of weeks and, and make some money. And it is, it's, it's kind of glamorised as well now with the amount of money that they can make, and the potential to make money as a, for a 16-year-old, and you can make, even if it's 500 pounds in a week, that's huge for a 16-year-old, you know? And then you're, um, someone's got your arm on your shoulder telling you how great you are, and then, yeah. So, so a lot of this is to do with, with modeling and role models, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because so much of it, if you haven't got that in the first place, you'll gravitate to anything. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's heartbreaking, really, but that's what we, we see on a, on a on a, on a regular basis. So let's just talk a little bit about how do we disrupt this stuff? Because, you know, you've been in this game as long as I have and you know that there's so much research, like pretty much everything I touch is like, well, we need to research this, we need to research that. Um, and we know that austerity has caused a massive issue. 1.6 billion has come off the uh, local and central government for the last five years. We know there's no youth services. Um, we know this is poverty gap. We can talk about race disproportionality. We can talk about uh, the, the school to school exclusion to pupil referral to prison pipeline. Uh, we, we, we could talk about the impact on women and girls and, and violence, all this type of stuff. We know it's out there. Um, and this is what will come up on a regular basis. But in your opinion, what do we need to do to actually disrupt? We know that knife crime is up across the country. Um, we know that this dominant youth culture, even if we can't always measure it, we know there's something which is going on across young people in terms of fear. And but, but is knife crime up only amongst young people? Well, please talk to me about it. It probably isn't, though. Yeah. If you look at the... Talking about London now, if you look at the murders in London last year, I think it was 133, I think, Majority of them were not young people. Absolutely. The victims weren't. Yeah. And the perpetrators weren't young people. So why has it become a youth violence issue? It's a violent issue. That's all it is. Yeah. You know, the humans, we've been violent. Yes. For, go back to the beginning of time. Yeah. 
arguments, conflicts, issues have been resolved or tried to be sorted out through the use of, of violence. Now, I'm not condoning violence, but why has it become a youth issue when it's not a, particularly a youth issue? And that's a fair point because I think statistics will tell you that actually with those uh, numbers you just quoted, the, the vast majority of those murders were uh, committed or the, the fatalities were people in their 30s. Mm-hmm. But yet the media yeah, will say it's, it, yeah. a, it's a youth issue. It's creating moral panic. Absolutely. So, although what I will say, I mean, I think there's been a 25% rise in uh, young, particularly black mm-hmm. kids who have been impacted by knife crime. I think those stats came from, from MOPAC, mm-hmm. from the mayor's office. So I always say, so we, you know, we could get into, is it a black problem, is it not? Mm-hmm. My thing is always yes or no. It's not when you look at it across the UK, mm-hmm. um, but in areas where it's very hyper-diverse, mm-hmm. You can see that, unfortunately, black kids are getting caught up in this stuff. What can we do? What's the, what, what are some of the solutions to this? Some of the solutions are stop excluding kids from school. Okay. That, that just needs to stop. Mm. You exclude a kid from a school, sometimes they go through a period of not being in any, any um, placement. Yeah. They're just left in limbo for a while. Um, experiences of, yeah, sometimes months, sometimes years where they've been excluded at 13 and haven't really got back into a school by the age of 13, kind of too late then. Um, then they're placed into pupil referral units, which there are some good pupil referral units, to be honest, but then the majority of them, you're placing all similar type of young people into one building. Um, staff aren't really equipped to deal with some, some of the types of behaviour and they're not really learning the type of... It's not a therapeutic, a therapeutic um, provision for them. But here's the thing, just on that, do we, but do we think that's the responsibility of teachers? Because... Before I was working for Youth Offending Service, I was a mentor. And I know as a mentor, I was able to take some of the pressure off the teachers. Like, okay, I'll deal with behaviour, whether it's one-to-one or group work, and the teachers would teach. Some teachers would argue that the classes are getting bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, So is it fair to expect teachers to be trauma-informed, to have contextual safeguarding, as well as... uh, teaching maths, English, and whatever else. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If you don't understand what a child may be going through, how are you going to teach them? So a child could come into school knowing that their parents, dad or mum, had a big fight last night, ambulances were called, police were called, and they've come into school completely tired. You're trying to tell me that a teacher should ignore that? No. Teachers should take that into account, that this child is probably not in a position now to go through the school's learning day. They're not, they're not really going to take any information. So there should be some kind of provision where where it's identified that a young person is going through something that they really can't really deal with at the moment, take them out of that, that, that class, put them in something else, whether it just be a counselling session, something where they can purge what, what, they've, um, what they're going through at the moment. Instead of them sitting down, they're becoming frustrated and maybe acting out in the class, which will lead, lead them to being excluded. This is it's pointless, to be honest. And it's interesting about the exclusion side of stuff. I mean, um, another uh, person we, we know, uh, I had Andre on Power Talk, mm. Andre Harriet, um, and he was talking about how he saw the, that school-to-school exclusion to pupil referral unit to prison pipeline that somehow needs to be disrupted. So, you know, what you're saying is something which we, we hear a lot. I just think it's, it's so much more tricky than we realise, especially if we're not prepared to engage with other services which are out there. So we talk about Lewisham, but we know, for example, Ecclesia Church have 
partnered up with uh, Transforming Lives for Good. And there's an alternative, alternative provision there, which can allow kids to go there for a little bit of time and then go back into their school system, which I think is amazing, because that's a disruptor, because otherwise that kid gets excluded yeah. and goes straight into a people referral unit. I think a bigger problem, though, and I'd be interested just to get your view on, we hear about public health. Public health model, let's look at violence as a disease, let's look at it holistically, let's bring in different institutions, NHS, schools, faith groups, community, police, all that type of stuff. But the truth is, when we, they based it on Scotland, mm -hmm. Scotland had the highest murder rate in 2005, then got cut down to 65%. But one of the biggest things they had was zero exclusions. I think last year, 2018, one person was excluded in the whole of Scotland. Now, that's not happening in London. And what does that show you, though? It shows you that they've gone from being the highest um, rate in 2005 of violence to 10 years later, they're not even nowhere near that level. You know, and they've gone through... I know it's mainly in Glasgow that this, this is happening, but they, the whole city took on the idea that it, should, it, can, only, it can only work if everybody involved mm. says, yeah, we need to go this way. So there's no point you offending services say we're going to be trauma-informed services where children's social care aren't or the police aren't. It's just not going to work. People need to be on the same page for it to work. So we talk about public health approach. If hospitals are doing public health approach in regards to violence, and youth offending services are, but the police aren't, and schools aren't, and youth service aren't, and whoever else aren't, it's just, it's just not going to work. That's and, it, yeah. That's sorry, it. And people no, need to remember, it's, it's going to take a very long time. Don't expect to see results in a year. It's going to take lots of money, lots of time, lots of failures as well. It's going to collapse and think, oh, this ain't really working. You need to stick with it and get it through it. Public health approach is it's about pre preventing violence from happening. Same way they would treat... Um, someone who's got, um, I don't know, suspected heart defect, so you want to prevent a heart attack from happening, they'll put things in place before it gets to that stage of a heart attack happening. Right. Same thing with violence. Yeah. Young people, eight years old, if there's identified issues that you're aware that they have gone through um, adverse childhood experiences, start putting things in place at eight years old. Don't wait until they're 16. Eight years later, that's silly. So it's about early intervention, it's about prevention. Um... But at the same time, we need exit strategies for those mm -hmm. who are in the mix. It's a, a holistic a approach. Um, I think we'll round up. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you'd want to mention. Or anything no, there's loads. Well, we, like, we, we haven't got the time. We have to do a part two or yeah. something like that. I mean, from my perspective, um, having known you and just watched kind of your career path, it's incredible to see. I think we need more people uh, like you who understand the community and working your way through. It's brilliant to see. Uh, keep going. Um, I think this has been incredibly helpful, even for me, just to kind of hear just what Youth Offending Services are now doing in 2019. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So um, thank you so much for your cool, time. Thank man. you. And keep going. I will do. And, um, as, yeah. long as, as long as you keep going. I will try, man. You know, power to fight. We've just we got to keep going. But it's brilliant that we can continue just to work together. Thank